0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Maurice Selby. My name is Reed.
1: My name is Mia. My name is Anastasia.
0: And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, The Voice of Harlem, and the Health in Harlem podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have a very distinguished guest, Dr. Sharon Abdul-Rahman. She is a board-certified OBGYN and also the founder of Today's Women, Uh, which is a unique boutique gynecological practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And also, I might add that Dr. Raman is also the founder of the Black Women's Health Directory. Today, we're going to talk about something very important. Now, I know we're out of January, right? It's February. Um, I definitely acknowledge that. (laughs) Uh, But I I felt like this topic is just so, so, so important that uh, we are going to talk about um, cervical health um, as January was Cervical Health Month, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And so we really just want to want to get that in there. But in general, ladies and gentlemen, um, it is also Heart Health Awareness Month uh, in women. And so we are going to touch on that as well. But I want to welcome you to the program, Dr. Ryman.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And uh, also, it's good to see you guys again, man. Uh, Reed, Mia, and Anastasia. Um, But we're going to jump right into the topic, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So Uh, At one time, and really, I think this is what we really need to focus on, ladies and gentlemen, right? Just take this home right now, um, that at one time, cervical cancer was the leading cause of cancer death for women. To this day, in developing countries, it is still a leading killer of women, and it's actually the third most common cancer in women worldwide. But in the United States, it's now one of the most preventable cancers and actually uncommon in the United States. Um, This is largely because of the screening uh, that is done, and right? So we're going to focus on the preventive aspects um, of this disease uh, as we go forward. You know, with that said, I, I guess, Dr. Raman, if you could just take us into it, what is this, this disease?
2: So thank you for having me again. Cervical cancer is an important cancer to talk about because it is considered a truly preventable cancer. Cervical cancer is considered a truly preventable cancer. If women get the appropriate screening, they could very well prevent cervical cancer. And that has to do with getting routine pap smears and HPV screening. And just about every woman has heard of a pap smear. And many women go for a pap smear but they don't often understand what a pap smear does or what is a pap smear. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to just kind of give some background information. Right. About that So when you go to the GYN and they insert the speculum, when they open the speculum at the very top, hanging down like a chandelier, I like to say, is the cervix. And the cervix is the opening or the womb to the, of the uterus. And you can see the cervix and there's a little opening, which we call the cervical os, which leads into the cavity of the uterus. And when we do a pap smear, we want to get a sample, a representative sample of the cells from the cervix, from the outside surface and from within the canal. And so we get this sample and we send it to the pathologist and we say, what do these cells look like? And there's really only five possible interpretations that the pathologist will give us. Hmm. They will say, the best thing that they can say is these cells look like normal cells. And that's great. And that's considered a negative pap smear. The worst thing that they can tell us is these cells look like cancer cells. Now you have to remember, these are just individual cells which have really been literally scraped from the cervix. Then you have in between, you have from normal, you have atypical, which is kind of funny looking cells, to mildly abnormal, to moderate and severely abnormal. So those are the possible interpretations. Now, the key point to note there is at the end of the spectrum, you have cancer. So we go from normal to cancer cells. But in between that, we have the Abnormal cells, and some people sometimes think of them as quote unquote precancerous cells. And so, once a woman has an abnormal pap smear, it doesn't necessarily mean that she has cervical cancer. It just means that she has abnormal cells seen on her cervix that may require further evaluation. If I can continue, the, our understanding of cervical cancer has evolved over time. It's one of the few cancers where we actually think we know what's requisite or what causes it. Hmm. And what that is, is, and we don't know that for many cancers like leukemia or pancreatic cancer. We don't know what's the initiating event for that. With cervical cancer, we think we do. We think it's the human papilloma virus or the HPV virus. And so we think a woman gets infected with HPV, and HPV is a sexually transmitted infection. A woman gets infected with HPV. Now, the majority of the time she gets infected and she's healthy enough, her immune system is strong enough that she will clear it over a period of time. We worry about the woman who doesn't clear the HPV infection. That woman, we feel that over time, the virus will start to induce abnormal changes within the cervical cells, which can then lead to cervical cancer. So that's why we have something that's called co-testing. And for women who are 30 and older, not only do we do a PAP to look at the cervical cells, mm-hmm. but we do the HPV test to see, is this woman infected with the HPV virus? And those tests together will then direct our evaluation and then ultimately our treatment of the abnormal PAP smear.
0: And so the whole way that we're essentially preventing this illness is by finding those abnormal cells, as you said, during the pap smear.
2: Well, it actually starts a little bit earlier because there's now an HPV vaccine. And the HPV vaccine is um, offered to young women, ideally, before they become sexually active ideally before they have a chance to be infected by an HPV virus, because it's not just a virus. Mm -hmm. It's a family of viruses. um, And they are grouped into low and high risk. Low risk are associated with warts. High risk HPV viruses are associated with cervical cancer. And so in order to prevent her exposure, a vaccine is recommended for young girls. Ideally, middle school, middle school age. Um, So that's the first preventative type measure. After that, at the age of 21, we start recommending that women get a pap smear. Now, there have been changes in that. It used to be, we say, get a pap smear every year. We don't Mm -hmm. say that anymore. We say, um, assuming your pap smear is normal, they can be spaced out. Um, if you're less than 30, they can be spaced out to every three years, but you still need a PAP. And then once you turn 30, we start doing the co-testing, which is PAP and HPV.
0: And so what is it um, in terms of the timeframe, right? Uh, when, we, when you can see sort of these changes that are taking place uh, within a woman's cervix, um, what is the time frame from those changes to when a person might actually have uh, full blown, I guess, cervical cancer?
2: Luckily, it's years, which is why if someone is um, being diligent about getting her Pap smears, we can detect the abnormal cells, treat before we get to cervical cancer.
0: Yes. And so um, I just want to go back, ladies and gentlemen, real quick to a a, a former episode. This is kind of like a uh, promotion of Health in Harlem, too. So we talked about colon cancer. And I'm going to just flash back to um, just late last year when we talked about colon cancer and colon cancer awareness. And this is, to me, essentially what you're saying, Dr. Raman. It's largely preventable, right, by getting these screenings earlier, where we can find these changes. Um, In that case, right, we talked about colorectal cancer, and we talked about the importance of those polyps, right? These uh, what we call pre-malignant uh, masses or growths in the colon that um, we could see them and literally go in there and snip them, literally nip it in the bud. And I actually had my my colonoscopy. I'm not afraid to put it out there. Uh, last year, had one polyp, but I was relieved after getting that because th- I'm like, look, you know, they found this thing, they took it out. You know, I have to go again, but it's something that was taken out. This potentially precancerous. Uh, lesion. So essentially this is like analogous to that, correct?
2: Yes. But the difference is I believe that all women kind of know I should get a pap smear, but Mm -hmm. I think they often don't know why they need a pap smear. And they don't know if getting a pap smear means that they won't get uterine cancer. Does it have to do with ovarian cancer or what exactly it is? And so I think there's a missing piece where you know, I sh- I know I should get it done, but I'm not real sure what it's doing.
0: Especially if nothing happened. I guess if you've had them before and nothing happened, then maybe you might go go forward thinking that okay, well, it's not something that I need to maybe keep up with regularly.
2: No, women are usually good about. It's almost better like better
0: than men. Facts.
2: It's <laughs> like a rites of passage. I need to go get my pap smear. Yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to go and get my pap smear. But what is it testing? Oh, I'm not sure. You know,
0: got it. I see. Mean?
2: Or when it comes back abnormal, does that mean I have cervical cancer? I mean, so that's where the missing pieces are. You know, got it. I know I should get it. I'm not quite sure why I should get it. I'm not quite sure what it means, but I want it, you know, or I'm going to get the test.
0: And so, what are some symptoms of uh, cervical cancer? Um, or are there even, even any symptoms when a person is in that sort of precancerous st- stage where you see um, sort of those changes in the cells or that sample that's taken from the cervix?
2: Not necessarily, not necessarily. Um, and this is a truly, I almost don't want to use the word precancerous because it's such an emotional statement. Oh, I have precancerous cells. They are abnormal, and we think they're abnormal because of an exposure to a virus. And we think the majority of time the virus will clear and the pap will go back to being normal. But we need to maintain vigilance because there is a certain percentage of women who will not experience the resolution of the HPV virus, who will go on and have progressively more abnormal pap smears. But if a woman is going to the gynecologist and if she is getting a pap smear, it can be detected and treated before you ever get to cancer, which is why cervical cancer, although not, you know, a very I mean in the ranking of the most frequent or the most prevalent, it's not really that high as she spoke of in the mm-hmm. in the United States, but it is preventable if you get screened Got and it. treated if needed.
0: And so in light of, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it is um, Black History Month, as we all know. We definitely are aware of sort of the things that have been happening around us in society and really, right, looking at the pandemic with COVID and sort of the um, how this has really highlighted a lot of disparities that we see um, in healthcare and even in health outcomes in this country, I think we definitely need to touch on that um, when we talk about certain populations that are more vulnerable to this uh, disease. And so with that said, Dr. Rahman, uh, as far as what we see in different populations in this country, do we see any trends um, as far as the outcomes um, with respect to you know ethnic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds when it comes to cervical cancer? And even awareness, I guess, of this whole this whole
2: entity—that's um, that's kind of a very sensitive subject for me because, mm. as a black woman, when we talk about health statistics, it's always so dismal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you pick it. You know, we can talk about hypertension, diabetes. We can talk about breast cancer. I mean, you pick the disease, you pick the problem, and black women. Black men are going to have this huge health care disparity. And so I almost don't like talking about it. And I don't like talking about it to the degree that, it. it you know, I think there's a term in psychology of learned helplessness, meaning mm. that things are so dismal. Every time you talk to me about my health, you're telling me how bad it is that I, I think You know, what's the use of trying to do any better? Because the cards are stacked against me. And so we need to be aware that there are truly health disparities, Mm -hmm. but we can't let that put us in a state of passivity uh, where there's nothing that we can do. And so, yes, there's a disparity in terms that we see with cervical cancer, just like we see with other health conditions. But I think the key is to just, you know, like you're dealing with this show, educate people and make them aware, make them understand that actually it's not a passive thing. You can do things. Yes. To improve your health. Um, you can go for screening and all of these things will help you to be a healthier
0: person. Yes, indeed. And that's what I'm hoping, ladies and gentlemen, right? We we don't ask much of you in the listening audience. I can't remember hearing an ad on the program. You never will. Also, you know, I didn't. I don't think we've asked you much aside from just sharing what you learned on the show, but really what we ask is that you essentially, in terms of being your own health advocate, um, by one, empowering yourself with, you know, this knowledge, knowing why we're getting a patch smear. And thank you so much, um, Dr. Ramon, for, for really breaking that down for us. Um, as to why this has to happen because I think that's just an extra part of empowerment where they're like, I have to get right. We have to look and see if there are any changes um, mm-hmm. in the cervix. That's what we're looking for. It's, it's mm-hmm. not, you know as invasive as this might be, as uncomfortable as it might be, um, just as a colonoscopy, right, invasive, um, scary. Uh, but we found that polyp. That thing is out. and yes. I'm very happy that it's out. Um, and I feel like it's the same or a similar situation where we might see some abnormal cells. When a Pap smear, hey, we know it's there now. And now we can keep an eye on that and make sure that this doesn't progress. And if it does progress, guess what? We have options to quote unquote nip it in the bud, if we can use that you know term again.
2: And and a pap smear doesn't have to be painful. Now calling colon- that's a whole nother thing. But Got a, pap it. Smear, a pap smear should not be painful. Yeah,
3: May I ask a question? I think there was a very successful anti-vaxxer campaign around the HPV vaccine, especially when I was coming through adolescence. So I believe, I believe it was like a it was a set of three. Um, set of three. I, I personally do not believe that I got the second or the third. I'm now 22 years old, reached sexual maturity. What should I do? Should I go back as an adult and get the vaccine, or should I just keep going? Because I do get Pap smears from my OBGYN?
2: So it's, I, I tell all women, it's a risk benefit analysis always. But just, just to give a little background, the vaccine is actually recommended for younger women who are who have yet to become sexual because you see the greatest immune response in these younger women. And then as women get older, the immune response tends to dampen. And also, as women become sexually active, you don't necessarily get the full protection that you would for a woman who's never been sexually active. Because, like I said before, there is a huge family of HPV viruses. But the initial vaccine was only a vaccine against the two most common low risk and the two most common high risk. That's been revised. So now the the newer vaccine is against the two most common low risk and the nine most common high risk viruses. But even that doesn't include all of the viruses. So in a older woman who is now who has already become sexually active, He may have already been exposed to a certain number of viruses. And once you've been exposed, the antibody, the vaccine, won't protect you against something that you've already been exposed to. Plus, your immune response to the vaccine isn't going to be as great. So then I would say to her, you need to look at your lifestyle. I mean, are you in a monogamous relationship? Or are you still exploring your sexuality? And so then you have to consider risk versus benefit. Initially said the vaccine was recommended up to age, I think it was 26. They've now extended it to say, you can get the vaccine up to age 44. I I suggest some soul searching and then deciding what your comfort level, knowing that there may be some benefit but not a full benefit. An immune response, but not as great as what you might have gotten
3: years prior. This topic definitely seemed extremely distant for me my entire life because I was like, oh, like that won't hit close to home. My best friend recently contracted HPV, and I realized how common it is to contract HPV, and it is untraceable. There is no way that you can go in your sexual history and find of, um like what man per se gave it to you because they have they have no way of testing for men. So, so that's that's
2: very <laughs> that's so very interesting. and it also shows you how crazy things can be because it's a sexually transmitted infection, but men aren't tested. And unlike other sexually transmitted infections where sometimes there's a symptom or a discharge, or something that lets you know that there's a problem, you don't don't feel different, you don't look different, and yet you are transmitting this virus. The only men that I know of that get HPV testing are those that are homosexual, and usually that's anal HPV testing. But just um, routine male testing, not typically done, and until recently, the vaccine wasn't being offered to boys. They were being offered just to girls, which doesn't really make sense. If it does was,
0: not make sense at all. That
2: was actually it was nice nice. Yeah. It. It's like, who thought this through? But um, but it now is being offered, but I just don't know how well that's penetrated
1: into real practice. Now, growing up, I can definitely say the same where it's been like, you should not get the HPV vaccine. Like there was a lot of misinformation and there was a lot of people that were worried about the vaccine causing more damage than good. Um, so I'm in the same boat as Mia actually, that I only got my first dose um, and I got it way older. I think I got it when that was Mia's age. Um, so I'm a bit older than uh, Mia. So that that was actually a big thing. And now like I have cousins that are boys. Um, and I'm talking to my aunt and I'm like, you should probably get them the vaccine. You know, it's, it's a thing that they should get, because that was going to be my question. We keep mentioning how the girls should be vaccinated, but if it is a sexually transmitted um, infection, um, then shouldn't the boys also be vaccinated as well with it? So that was going to be my question that you you already answered, because I was thinking it doesn't make sense that we're the ones that have to, you know, even though it affects us a lot more, in terms of our future in, in the sense of the uh, these abnormal cells and the potential right. of getting cancer, it doesn't seem fair to right. have it. I in all
2: fairness, when this was initially being promoted, it was, well, boys don't have a cervix, and so they're not going to get cervical cancer, and so we don't have to give it to them. So it was being thought more of as a preventive measure for cervical cancer, and not so much of, well, it's sexually transmitted. And if it's sexually transmitted, that means there's at least two people involved. And so we need to be protecting both.
0: Facts. And even, you know, one thing, Dr. Rahman, you touched on it, is that, you know, with the, the testing, as far as the anal testing in homosexual men, you know, part of that, because we know that this can cause not just cervical cancer, right? This uh, human papilloma virus, but also anal rectal cancers, oral cancers have been linked to, uh, or at least HPV has been linked to the development of oral cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, as you said, this is you know affecting every, and especially the fact that it's, it's primarily sexually transmitted. As you said, it takes two to tango. So I mean, that's that's common sense, I guess. Um, and but and ladies and gentlemen, right? Because one thing we are not salespeople on health in Harlem. I promise you, we are not. <laughs> but um, You know, seek out, as we always say, you know, just be wary of the misinformation and false, you know, flat out false information that's out there, especially when it comes to uh, when it comes to these type of interventions, uh, vaccinations, because right, this could be something that just think about this as an option, um, especially to parents out there, because I know that there's a good amount of hesitancy. Um, But just make sure you're basing that decision on real information.
1: Um, I have another,
0: um,
1: you mentioned how we have, we go from normal to cancer and then there's the in-between. Um, and you mentioned how that could be treated. Um, how does that look like? How does, what are the treatment options when you do reach that abnormal cells? Because it's very frightening to hear, like your doctor come up to you and be like, the test results didn't come back normal. And then you're just like going through 5 million thoughts at the same time. So what is the treatment like when you do get that stage? if you have atypical cells, so
2: normal, atypical, mildly abnormal, moderate, severely abnormal cancer cells. So atypical cells are are, are kind of a gray area in that the pathologist is saying, these cells don't look completely normal but they're not quite bad enough for me to classify them as mildly abnormal. So I'm gonna call them, and the medical term is atypical squamous cells of undetermined significance or ASCUS. And so when that comes up, then you have to decide, do I do something or do I leave her alone? And then what we then do is an HPV test because of that association of HPV with cervical cancer. If she has atypical cells and we test for HPV, if the HPV test is positive, that's someone that I then want to do, and it depends on her age, um, but let's say she's over 25, that's someone I then want to do a colposcopy. And a colposcopy is very different from a pap smear. A pap smear, as I explained before, is just a random sample. I don't know exactly where it's come from other than someplace on her cervix. That's the pap smear. A colposcopy is when I'm required to look at her cervix under magnification and identify any areas that look abnormal under magnifications. And then I want to take a sample from any and all abnormal areas because I want to see what's the worst case scenario. And then... I get, I take a, the colposcope is, the colposcopy is the looking at the cervix under magnification. And then I want to take a sample from inside the endocervical canal. And I want to take a sample from the outside surface. We call it the endocervix, the exocervix. And I send the specimen back to the pathologist. And I say, on the pap, random sampling, you saw some atypical cells and she tested positive, positive for HPV, I've now taken the time and taken a close look at her cervix, and I'm giving you samples from the areas that look the worst under magnification. What do you see now? And then they'll come back with a report. Normal, atypical, mildly abnormal, moderately abnormal, severely abnormal cancer. And those are the possibilities for the report that comes back from the colposcopy. If the colposcopy reports come back showing mildly abnormal cells or atypical cells, we usually don't do anything other than say, we think your body's going to heal itself, and all we want you to do is get a pap smear in one year, because we think the process will evolve, that you'll get rid of the HPV, things will heal. And so we say, just repeat the pap in one year if the biopsies come back showing moderate or severely abnormal cells, I say, this is where we want to intervene. We want to remove these cells before they have the possibility of turning into cancer. And so in my mind, it's one of the best preventive things that we do as gynecologists, because no, you don't have cervical cancer. And if we remove these cells while they're moderate or severely abnormal, you're not going to get cervical cancer. And so there are ways to do that. And that's sometimes called a leap procedure or a condensation, but that's only done if the cells have progressed to moderate and or severely abnormal.
0: All right. Thank you, and thank you very much for demystifying some of that. Actually, that was going to be my next question, uh, Anastasia. Thank you for stealing it um, because you no, know, because it's so important, right? To demystify, and and I think there can be a lot of um, a lot of angst as as you pointed out, um, Doctor Ramon, in, in that right. What if we do find something abnormal? Right. Um, I'm trying to remember a conversation I was having recently where a person was like, "Look, I don't even want to do this test because I'm afraid this, to find out what might be going on."
1: Because right, which is, um, from to cancer. We
2: think, oh my God, I have yes. cancer.
1: It um, also sounds um, that you guys, I mean, especially you, that uh, you let the body give a chance to fight it itself before it intervene. Because you mentioned how like once it got to moderate or severe, that's when you're like, okay, now I need to come in and help you and help your body not develop cervical cancer. So I think that's a great thing that you're just willing to give the body naturally a chance to like Mm. fight it itself before jumping in because biopsies are invasive and like all of these things can be you know they they're not I've had biopsies done so they're not the best experience but when they you have to do them you have to do them um so I think that it's great that you're allowing the patient a chance to just fight it themselves before you know taking that next step where you have to go in there yourself
2: Well, that is because there have been studies that I think someone mentioned it early. HPV is very prevalent. And uh, if you are sexually active and you have had more than one partner and that partner has had more than one partner, there's a great, there's a high probability that you may, in fact, become infected with HPV. So if you're sexually active, good chance you're going to get HPV. That's the bad news. The good news is that for the majority of women, you will have it and get rid of it, you know, and it will become not a problem in your life. It's that woman that doesn't clear, get rid of the HPV infection. She's the one at risk for cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. And that's quite honestly why we don't test for HPV in women younger than 30. We don't routinely test for HPV in women younger than 30 because it's so prevalent.
0: It's everywhere, yep.
2: Yeah, and so they'll be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have it. And then, you know, a year later it's gone. And that coupled with the fact that the incidence and likelihood of developing cervical cancer is so low in your 20s, we have the benefit of time, which is why we say things like repeat the pap in one year. Now, once you get older, then we have to be a little more vigilant and that's when we start doing the co-testing and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Thank you for this. expert. Because you know what it is? I think that there has to be, and this is what I'm sort of gathering right in terms of these decisions that have to be made, you know, one, just having the knowledge, as we said, about uh, HPV, about cervical cancers, the changes that can take place in the cervix. Uh, but then being able to take that a step further, if there is something abnormal, identified to be in this, have the ability to make decisions with your physician. I just want to bring everyone's attention to an article. This was actually published in the Journal of the National Medical Association. Quick side note, 1893, National Medical Association was established um, for Black physicians in this country that could not join the American uh, uh, Medical Association um, at that time. Black physicians were barred at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Black History Month, right? And so they established their own thing. This is coming out of that journal of the National Medical Association in 2011. It is titled Cervical Cancer Screening Among Ethnically Diverse Black Women, Knowledge, Attitudes, Beliefs, and Practices. What they did was they took six focus groups of Haitian, African, um, English-speaking Caribbean women, uh, African-American women. Um, They were recruited from federally uh, funded health centers there was limited knowledge about, and even confusion, right, amongst different ethnic groups when it came to cervical cancer and inverse risk factors, especially when it came to the, the pap test, as you said, right, just this confusion around that test and even what HPV was and its association with cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. But one thing that they found that broke through all of that confusion and led to more women getting pap smears and being screened regularly, it was their relationship with their provider, uh, with their physician. You know, this is just something that is so paramount in terms of this relationship between provider and patient. Really, you know, what that brings me to is, is also what what Dr. Raman, Raman has also been up to in establishing the Black Women's Health Directory, um, because this is so crucial in linking women with, right, providers that they trust and that, that they can make decisions with going forward. So if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Raman, if you could tell us what you've been up to.
2: Sure, this is my baby. <laughs> I used to deliver babies a long time ago and I still do GYN. So I see non-pregnant women, but invariably women would come up to me and say, do you know a black OB? And I would pause because I actually couldn't think of a black OB. And I'm, I'm in Philadelphia and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. A city, 1.5 million people, University of Pennsylvania, Thomas Jefferson, Albert Einstein, Temple University. I can't believe that there are no doctors. And so I started doing a Google search and I I came up with, I think, five black female OBs. And when people would ask me, I would say, okay, I'm going to give you this, this. I don't actually know them, but they're black. Um, And then I said, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's really crazy. And so then the thought was, well, maybe because patients want to be seen by doctors that they feel seen by, Mm. that um, take the time to listen to them and hear what they have to say. And so I, And that's not just for OB, that's for gastroenterologists and cardiologists. And and so then it was like, well, maybe we should just put a directory together because now what people do or what they tell me they do, they go, they get their insurance provider directory, which doesn't tell them um, race. They can figure out sex, but doesn't tell them race. And then they proceed to Google names to see... If they can find a picture to find out, is this someone that looks like I want? Which one woman said
1: she spent two hours doing. Wow! And I, I can attest um, to that. I've done the same. Like I spent two hours looking for a specialist because you want
2: that connection. And so the idea was, let's try to put together a directory where it kind of cuts down the 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 work of googling doctors to see. Well, that was the initial thought, just kind of make this resource. And so when someone asked me, I could just say there's a directory for that. But along the way, I've been I've actually been impressed with the amount of medical expertise and talent that is within our community that we don't know because it's like we're scattered here and there. And it's really impressive. And so now, I see it as being inspirational that anyone that could see this, it's like, she's a plastic surgeon, you know, Mm -hmm. he's a cardiologist. And so um, that's what's kept me uh, motivated by it. It was originally going to be just a little area in Philadelphia, but now it's like, if you're in the United States and you're African American. We want to, as they say, shine the light on you. You get to show your picture. You get to add your profile. Um, you need to give. You can give your information. People can see.
0: And this is this is really important because study after study, ladies and gentlemen, have shown that right when a provider and the patient's sort of background, right, that when there's a cultural link, when they're um, is an ethnic link or even re- religious link that bonds right those individuals and outcomes are have been consistently shown to be better. You know this this minimizes things like language barriers and the the misunderstandings that can arise with different belief systems, right? Um, and breaking through those barriers when it comes to things like the HPV vaccine, right? There are just certain questions and and ways that. You know, providers of the same background, the same ethnicity, the same culture, that they can help address those concerns um, just better. It's not anything about anybody being a better doctor or a better provider. It's just that that link facilitates, you know, better outcomes.
2: Yeah, I think we we saw it with the last election. Representation matters. Representation truly matters when you can see somebody that you can relate to or see somebody that can relate to you, that's huge.
0: And so when we look at, and and really this is just looking at women's health in general, right? Um, When we talk about the outcomes and especially this month being heart month, right? Women's um, heart health month. Mm -hmm. uh, We Talk about those outcomes. Uh, What is your sort of advice to uh, women in that regard as far as you know, maintaining, not just when it comes to uh, cervical cancer awareness or getting those pap smears, but really just in terms of uh, staying on top of their health.
2: There's so much to say. I mean, we all fear the diagnosis of cancer, whether it's cervical cancer or colon cancer or breast cancer. But the reality is that the number one killer in this country is not cancer, it's heart disease, it's cardiovascular disease. And like you mentioned before, February is heart month. And so it's time to love yourself. You know, self-love is a, a radical act. And so women need, I think they need to, if I had anything to say, you need to assume responsibility for your health. It, it's your body. It's your life, it's your health. You can make those choices, and actually you can have a major impact on your health based on how you live. Now, we don't want to hear those kind of things because often that means changing our lifestyle, you know, not eating a certain way or not drinking so much, but the reality is. Health is actually a choice. I mean, you can choose to be healthy or you can choose to be unhealthy. And once you are empowered with that information, it's your decision.
0: And so with that said, you're essentially saying just everybody should just tune into Health and Harm like consistently because we we tell you how to do it. I mean, that's that's all that's the mission of the program. Right. We just want to to get information out there so that we can do just that. Men, women, um, really, you know, everybody that's what we really aim to do. And, uh, that's, that's really the mission of the program is that you are, I agree with you 1000%. Like one, you know, you do have control, um, a good amount of control, right? Contrary to what it might seem like, but we have a good, a fair amount of control, um, in terms of living the healthiest life possible Mm -hmm. and avoiding a lot of the, the difficulties or complications and health problems that can arise, true, man, Man, thank you so much. Thank you. And so with that said, I mean, do you guys uh any other questions? I'm just I soaking think, everything um,
1: in. <laughs> it was it was great. Um to be quite honest with you, I am very thankful for all the information that you have given us because I, we have done pap smears. Mia and I have done pap smears. Um when I went for my first pap smear, I also didn't know why I was doing it. I mean, I was thankful to hear that everything was normal, but I had no idea why I was doing it. Um right. so for you to give us this inside look as to what happens on the physician side after um, the pap smear is done and everything else that goes about into how to help your patient be the healthiest they can possibly be. Um, I'm very grateful for that information. And I think that everyone that will listen to today's program will also agree um, because it's, it you demy- demystify the whole process, right? Because we get these like somewhat uncomfortable, can be uncomfortable pap smears, and you're like, okay, that was like very, whoa, kind of situation. So knowing why and the importance of it um, is very valuable. And it also will make it, make probably women a, a lot more hesitant, at least young girls um, to doing it as well. So I, I thank you very much for that information.
2: Yeah. Mm. My, my pleasure. The GYN exam or the female exam is such a bizarre exam. It's uh, a woman is required to basically take her clothes off and spread her legs in front of a total stranger um, and share intimate details. So it's a bizarre, bizarre, very bizarre exam. And you're fully conscious (laughs) during that. Um, And so that's why you need to take the time to find someone that you're comfortable with. Take the time to find someone that will talk to you and explain uh, exactly what are you doing and why are you doing it?
0: I wanna thank you very much, Dr. Rahman, for really just spending this time with us and sharing this information with our listening audience. Um, and so I wanna thank you on their behalf. I uh, also wanna thank my colleagues, Reed, Mia, Anastasia, as always, and the rest of the Health in Harlem team. And we also wanna give a shout out to Tina Dixon, Angela Hardin, um, and the rest of the family at WHCR. and um, just one more bit of history. I got to throw it in there because, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, just going back to uh, the 1950s, um, Sister Henrietta Lacks. I'm mm. Pretty sure people have heard of her. You know, unfortunately, she succumbed to to cervical cancer. Uh, before she passed, her cells were cultured right from her cervix um, at Johns Hopkins University and a, what we call an immortal cell line was cultured. It was actually the first human immortal human cell line um, that facilitated groundbreaking research in many different areas and fields, everything from uh, cellular, cellular and molecular biology to uh, you know, cancer, understanding cancer, and even developing therapies for various diseases, including cancer. Uh, unfortunately, this was done without uh, Ms. Lax's consent. And to this day, her family has never been compensated. And we're talking about something that right, has generated uh, probably billions of dollars in, in income. But that's a whole different story. But what I what I bring that up for, right, in the early 1980s, German virologist Harold Zurhausen found that HeLa cells contain multiple copies of HPV. And so her cells, right, led to this connection, too, where we understand what causes this. I say all of that to say and that... Right, one of the best ways I feel like that we can honor someone's legacy, their sacrifice. In this case, with uh, Henrietta Lacks, is is really um, just following through on this knowledge. Right now that we have this knowledge, we have this understanding. Let's not have, let her death have, have been in vain. Um, and this is why we really have to make sure that we, we are, you know, take control of our health. I mean, as we said, we, we're going to get the, those pap smears. We're going to find uh, doctors and providers that we trust and we can make decisions with um, and really this is you know the best way that we can really honor our ancestors going forward and so with that said ladies and gentlemen as always this show is dedicated to the memory the memory of miss gloria thomas Um, harlem take care of yourself